0: We are in part 12 of our King series as we've been going through in this Year of the King, right? We have this yearly theme of the Year of the King. In this particular series, the King series... We've been going through the monarchy period of Israel's history, which if you're new, that sounds lame. It sounds so boring. Wow, the monarchy period. But can we all agree that the stories in the Old Testament are absolutely phenomenal? Yeah? I mean, this has been amazing. The, the, the stories about how God worked with his people and the stories about the miracles that he wrought. I mean, incredible stuff. Well, sure enough, I entitled today's message, what, The Next Gen Prophet, because for the next three weeks, today and two more weekends, we're going to be covering Elisha the prophet. We already covered Elijah, the older one. Now we got his protege or his apprentice, Elisha, and we're going to be studying him. Now I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank, both on the app as well as on the handout sheet that was given to you with a story. And it's under this premise. God knows how to do complicated. Yeah? Let me tell you a story about how we got into this property. Some of you were here during that time, and you remember all the craziness. Well, for those that are brand new or those of you that were asleep during that era, (laughs) I would love to remind you on how it went. Uh, A number of years back, we are now coming up on three years being at the new place. A number of years back, we were at our old location, not too far from here, and rent was astronomical. We were paying so much money, and we had never owned anything in our history. We are now coming up on a 23-year history as a church, and we hadn't owned anything. The rents were getting higher. We were out of room. It actually stopped the growth of the church because we were ran out of space in our prime times, we didn't have enough parking. We were trying to figure out all the whole parking problem. And, and it ended up affecting to where our bills were rising, but we couldn't grow. And so it wasn't working together. And so we cried out to the Lord and we said, Lord, what do we do? I mean, this is your church. Are we just supposed to shut it down? Or are we supposed to just let it fall apart? I mean, how is this supposed to go? And so we started scouting out for a new place. There was nothing out there. We tried a couple things. They kind of fell through. Well, as God would have it, we put it into his hands. We realized we were out of options. This property became available. Now, if you remember and grew up around here, this used to be Roseville Telephone, right? So some of you would come and pay your bills here out in the front lobby. Well, Roseville Telephone built this back in the 90s, and they put in $37 million into this property because... It's 50 acres, and it's 207,000 square feet, and they thought they were going to be here forever. Well, what they did not know is that at some point, they were going to get bought out by Consolidated Communications. Consolidated didn't even need this stuff. They're a nationwide company, and they're like, we're pulling everybody out. We don't need that location. Now, they're such a big company, they didn't need the money either, but... Four different investors came to them and tried to purchase the property. The problem was, is this entire campus is built for one tenant, same boiler and chiller for everybody. It's either on or it's off. So you can't break it up. Well, investors wanted to break it up and sell it off. So one after another, after another, they kept bailing out on the deals. Well, this just irritated, consolidated, and they said, you know what? Forget it. We're just going to let it sit. Well, then one of them remembered that this church down the road wanted to try to lease space. That was us. So they reached out to us and they said, hey, do you guys want to buy this property? Well, we're like, uh, yeah, but we don't really have that kind of money. We were just looking to lease space, right? How much is it? And they said, well, here's the deal. We'll give you a good deal and we'll float your loan. Now, that is not a normal thing. I don't know if you're in business, but that's not a normal thing. they said, we'll give everything to you for $14 million, and we will backload the loan so you can get in easier and then pay more later on as you guys continue to grow. They did everything in their power to make it easier for us. They were super cool to us. Now, they knew full well that we could easily get new financing and then pay off the loan and get even better rates, even though they gave us great rates. So we got into the process and we thought, you know what, we could, we, we talked with all of you, right? And we're like, hey, we need to come up with a down payment. So everyone's pulling out change out of their pocket, you know, and we're like, what do you got? I don't know. I got, I got a receipt, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out what we could pay for. Well, miraculously, God provided and, and, and through all of you. And so we ended up moving forward and we thought we can get in with a minimal TIs, tenant improvements for 1.1 million dollars. You remember I told you I'm not good at math. <laughs> right when they got into the building, the construction company is like, yeah, that's stupid. Okay, so that's $3 million, not $1.1 Then as we got into the property, we got $1.8 million in change orders, which meant now it went from $3 million to $4.8 And we're like, Lord, we're going to lose this. We can't handle all these changes. Then came the fireproofing issue. The fireproofing issue was a game ender. If we had to do the fireproofing that they originally said, we were all done. But then God made a way where there was no way. He orchestrated. All these people started pulling for us. Everybody came out from the city. They were helping us out. The fire department was helping us. Everybody was giving us favor. And ultimately, we moved in. Let me make a long story short. Upon move in, our $14 million property was instantly valued at $21 million. That's instant equity. Upon finish product of designing out this next building, it goes to $31 million. What is the point? The point is this we were stuck. God ended up giving us a massive place with tons of blessing. We're doing more ministry than ever before, and we're paying less every month. That's a God thing. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you, we did not have the smarts to figure that one out. We couldn't have orchestrated that one. We couldn't have finagled that one. That was either God or it was nothing. And here's what's crazy about it. We have 17 and a half buildable acres out of 25 acres out there on the land that is the future of this church. So we have expansion capability. We have more than enough parking. We have space here to be in and We're less money a month and we haven't even yet leased out building D, which is our largest moneymaker thing on the entire campus. What God did was crazy. We were stuck. He said, I have an answer. You're not going to understand it. So just walk with me. Fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God always finds a way. God always finds a way to do what? To do his will. See, here's the thing. If this was not his will, all bets are off. The Bible did not say that God promised to give you everything you want, that I'm going to find a way to make sure you get everything that you feel like your little heart desires. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if it's God's will, there's nothing that can stand against him. It doesn't matter what odds are against him, what the statistics say. None of that matters. It matters what God says and if god says it's gonna happen it's gonna happen if he promises something it will come true every single time so what our job is is to train to learn to listen to the voice of god we got to know how to read his word accurately so we can understand what has he really told us because if he told it to us oh it will come to pass for god can do the impossible amen Amen. Could you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7. It's in page, it's on page 308 and the Bible's under the seat in front of you. We're going to be reading out of the ESV, but I want to tell you a little bit of a recap here. We've been talking about Israel's history. It was founded as a theocracy. Remember I told you that a theocracy, run by God, governed by God and for a while that worked out but then at some point israel said we want a king an earthly king like everybody else has we don't want to do things we don't want to be different we want a king and so god said fine you reject me you can have your king and so it started out pretty good they made it through three kings right they made it through saul david solomon and then boom everything blew apart We now had a north and a south. They hated each other. They were fighting. Sometimes they'd get along, sometimes not. It was bad king after bad king after bad king, different king in the north and different king in the south. What do you think God's thinking? Wait, you guys wanted to kick me out for this? This is really what you wanted? If you ever want to know what God is thinking, you got to ask his people. God always had prophets that were speaking. Y'all know what a prophet is? It's somebody that communicates God's heart to the people. There was an office of prophet and people like Elijah sat in that, Elisha, there was groups of them called the sons of the prophets. And as a matter of fact, there was tons of them. When you go through your Old Testament and you're scanning through and all the books that you're avoiding doing a devotional in, that's a prophet. they're all over the place god was talking and talking the question is not was god communicating the question was is anyone listening god always talks is anyone listening elisha was the perfect epitome of an ambassador for the kingdom of god why because he didn't just say what god wanted him to say he did what god wanted him to do do y'all realize that that's what you are That The Bible says that if you are a Christian, then God has sent into your heart the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. You're a walking temple. You're a walking presence of God. And that we are now called the body of Christ, which means that whatever the head Jesus Christ wants to do, we carry it out on his behalf. That if God wants to give a hug, it was us that need to give that hug. If God wants to solve a financial problem for someone else, we are the ones that are going to fulfill that financial problem. If what God needs to say something and tell the world something, we need to be the ones listening and able to communicate that truth. We are ambassadors for God. We are to do his will. We are to say his truth. All right. Elisha was like this beautiful example, but when we read stuff about somebody like him, we kind of make him more into a superhero, and we make him into a kind of a showed up out of nowhere and then disappeared. Do you realize that Elisha's ministry likely lasted between 50 and 60 years? So you don't think about that. You think he just hit it and he was gone. No, this is decade after decade after decade. We don't have enough stories to cover that. So what was he doing during the other time? Living life like you and I, we always think that the Bible's more flashy. You know what? We are the Bible being written right now. God's not done telling His story through His people. And you go, well, I don't see a lot of miracles. We only got a little catalog of Elisha over six decades. So, how many miracles did He really do? I don't know, but we just got a, in here. And He was like one of the most miracle guys. All right. There was a lot of regular life in that. His name means, my God is salvation. How cool is that, right? If your name is Elisha, my God is salvation. That's super awesome. He mostly ministered in the north. He actually prophesied under six different kings. So the kings would come and go, and he's still there, telling them what God wanted, telling them what God wanted. Y'all remember how he got called, right? Elijah, his boss or his predecessor, was told by God, you need a successor, so I need you to go anoint this kid. His name is Elisha. He goes and he finds him. He was working out in the field. Elijah said, I need you to come with me. He burns everything, leaves everything, goes into the ministry. But here's what you may not know. Do you realize that he shadowed Elijah in relative obscurity for seven or eight years? Because we always think, yeah, and then he joined him, and then the whole chariots of fire thing, and then it's now his turn. No, it is eight years of being the understudy. There are many of us in this room today that are hyper gifted. Here's the problem. And I'm going to tell you this as a leader who's been around for quite a while now. Most of you that are super gifted in the Lord and anointed, I can't use you because you're unwilling to learn the trade. You're unwilling to sit under the authority of somebody else. It's like, well, if I'm gifted, I should do it all right now. There needs to be an element where God can soak into you and you can carry forward the wisdom. Just real quick, that's for somebody or somebody's in this room. All right, let me keep moving forward. So he's this young man to start, probably 25 years old, and this is how his private ministry kicks off. Would you turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Kings 2, verse 7? It says, 50 men of the sons of the prophets, that's their group of guys, also went and stood at some distance from Elijah and Elisha as they were both standing by the Jordan River. Then Elijah, the older one, took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed... Elijah said to Elisha the younger one ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you he knew he was going out Elisha said please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me and he said you've asked a hard thing yet if you see me as I am being taken from you it shall be so for you but if you do not see me it shall not be so all right let's talk about the story for a moment first of all parting waters God's really into parting waters have you noticed this kind of a thing he does the most famous one is the parting of what the red sea we all know the parting of the red sea story moses raises his staff out and the waters part now there's some people that don't believe in the miraculous so they always try to pull that stuff out of the bible and they're like well it was just low tide here's the problem with the low tide theory are you telling me that the entire egyptian army drowned in two feet of water Oh, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, right? And the horses are laying down to try to get under the water, you know? (laughs) No, there's walls of water, it's dry, and then a big flood comes in. That's why people died, all right? But that's not the only time God did this. Do you remember when they came into the promised land? They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they had them walk, and when they stepped their foot in the water, the water pulled back, and they were able to walk through on dry ground, Once again, we have the same thing. He just touches it with his cloak and then boom, the water parts. But what's the whole double blessing thing? Can we all agree that Elisha's pretty bold, right? Uh, Hey dude, before I bail, what do you need? And he's like, well, I want twice what you have. Wow, that's gutsy. Now here's what's funny. I was talking with pastor Matt and he was sharing, do you know, in the Hebrew double portion means as much as I can grab with both my hands. It means as much as I can shove in my face. Right? It's, I want it all. I want as much as I can carry. That's what I want. The other thing that's interesting about a double blessing is that is the inheritance amount of what? The firstborn son. Elijah doesn't have any kids, but Elisha is his spiritual child. And so he's saying, can I have a father's blessing that I might get twice of what you have? Now, he's not saying that to be selfish. He's saying, if you're going to leave... That's a lot of weight on my shoulder. I need to be able to do this. But here's what's intriguing about it. Elijah knows that any power that is right and good, it only comes from one source. Who does the power come from? God. It's always God. So he said, all right, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to impart what I have to you. But you ask for a big deal, and that's only going to come from God. So either God's going to authorize it or he's not. I can't answer that if you see me when I go, he said yes. If you don't see me when I go, he said no. That's all I have for you. Have you ever thought about this idea of impartation? Okay, so I grew up uh, under churches that it was, this was very common and easy to understand for them. But then as an adult, I actually went to more conservative churches and I wasn't around that environment. I remember as an adult coming back into this concept of impartation, and what's the impartation? It means that something that I have by God, something that He's anointed me with, something that He's moved through me, that I can then pray it and it would go to you. I mean, isn't that kind of a trip, right? I mean, isn't this whole idea that you would say, uh, isn't that a little weird? I mean, is that like like you got some weird mojo, like some some uh, super cool heebie-jeebies, right? Where, where you get like superpower and then I can shove my superpower onto you. And I remember thinking, is this real? And then I started doing a Bible study of it, right? And the Bible study told me what? It's all over the Bible. As a matter of fact, we do this stuff all the time. You're like, well, I don't do any of that kind. Yeah, you do. How do I know that? Because you go to church here. You're like, well, t- what are you talking about? Okay, quick question for you. Why do we lay hands on people when we're praying for them? Just think of why you do that. Because you're like, well, the Bible tells me to. Yeah, I know, but why? Why are you laying your hands on them? Why do you have to touch them? Is it because that they're like, uh, I feel lonely and no one gives me any healthy touch? No, no. Is it connection? Yes, yeah, you uh, no, you got denied. <laughs> Is there... I mean, why are we touching everybody? It's because of transference. It's the same thing about commissioning. You know when we have different leaders come up here and we're commissioning them and we ask you to do what? Stretch out your hand because you can't reach them. We're going to lay hands on them, but you're going to extend your hand as if you could touch them. The idea of transference, of I'm going to bless you, I'm going to pray for you, and so I'm going to say, Lord, would you come through me and bless them? Do you understand how biblical that is? Let's go into the weird examples. Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God, and God said, I'm going to take some of the spirit that is in you, some, like a portion, and I'm going to give it out and put it on all the elders of Israel. And they suddenly started seeing difference. Do you remember when Paul said, Timothy, don't you remember you got your spiritual gifts by the laying on of hands? that there was a transference and awakening up. Do you remember in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit, when he first emerged out, I don't think he still is doing it this way, but when he first came out on the church, the only way that he would wake up in somebody is when someone came and laid their hands on him. It was a transference. It was creating the body of Christ. There's a whole bunch of stuff that was involved in that. All I'm telling you is the idea of transference from Moses to Joshua, that stuff is all over the Bible. So this is what he's looking for. Hey, Elijah, would you give me twice the amount that you have? He's like, I don't know. If God says so, sure. If not, I got nothing for you. All right. Well, we all know the rest of the story, right? We go, oh, Elijah got taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. That is incorrect. Why? If you read it closely, it says they were separated by a chariot of fire with horses, but he was taken up in a whirlwind. So once again, if we're doing Bible trivia, don't get that one wrong. All right, here we go. <laughs> so you got to wonder, did it work? Did God hear that prayer and answer it? This is what we're going to find out in verse 12. So Elisha took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now, when he tears his clothes, the idea is that he's mourning. He's, he's hurting because he lost his buddy. And then he took up the cloak of Elijah, the older one that had fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan River. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? In other words, did he come on me? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. There's your confirmation. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, Yep. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. That's a humility move saying you're now the boss of our group because Elijah was, and we know that God just anointed you. One thing I want to be very clear on, and we need to keep this clear in our theology here at Bridgeway as we pursue the Holy Spirit, whenever you hear the phrase ministry of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit, transference, impartation of the Holy Spirit, It is not a force to be manipulated. It's a person. The reason why that's so critical is some of us get into magical thinking and we're like, well, I got to somehow manipulate this force, right? No, you're working with a third person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a someone. It's someone to interact with. You're not just grabbing force and moving miraculous powers. You're talking and interacting with God, that means there has to be humility. That means there has to be respect. It means there has to be a willingness and a surrender. You don't just walk around and say, God, give me some superpower so I can do whatever I want. That's not how it works. That's not Holy Spirit ministry. What's interesting is we now know that he's anointed. So what's his ministry going to look like? Well, here's where the Bible goes. Verse 19, 2 Kings two nineteen. Sometime later, now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of our city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him and he went to the spring of water, threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Do you realize this is a real spring? It is the only freshwater spring in this area. It's still going today. It's known as Elisha's spring. But are we all agreeing that that story is weird? Because here, first of all, let's start with a problem. Hey, we have this awesome area. We could build a ton of stuff. But the water table's broken. It's polluted. Y'all know what a water table is? That's where the springs come from. That's what's underneath the ground. Even in our modern day technology, we have no way to clean the water table. If the water table is bad, it's bad. We can't just fix that. You can't go underground and fix it all. Now we're back in the ancient world. How's God going to fix the water table? How is God going to change the very source of the spring? Because what was coming out was not only killing vegetation, it was killing people. Something nasty was coming out of the ground. How's God going to fix it? Well, here's Elisha's solution. Ready? I need a new bowl. What the heck? What do you mean a new bowl? What about this bowl right here? I need a new bowl and I need some salt. You need any pepper? Nope. Just salt. Sticks it in the bowl, pours it in, goes, we're all good. Why are we all good now? Here's what's crazy. I can tell you that nobody thought that was the solution. Why? Because God goes, you know what? You don't even understand what I'm working with. If I need to clean something up, if I need to fix something, I just fix it. Now, there's a bunch of layers on why it was salt and why it was a new bowl and all that. We're not even going to get into that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. God knows how to do complicated. How do you fix a water table? Apparently salt in a bowl. Why? Because God can do anything that he wants to do. Whatever you're facing right now, God is not afraid of whatever situation you're walking into and you're living under and you're panicking about and you're praying about is not hard for God. We keep saying, God, this one's easy for you. God, this is a tough one. There is no tough one. It's all easy to him. He creates reality. If he says it's clean, it's clean. If he says that you're blessed, you're blessed. Nobody gets to stand against God. I just pray that your faith would be so much stronger when you walk out of here today. I want you to remember God as the God of the impossible, yeah? Okay, so let's keep moving forward. This is uh, one of my favorite stories. Let's go ahead and read this together. It's a cute little story. Read to your kids before bedtime. (laughs) Verse 23. Later on, Elisha went up from there to Bethel. Bethel should have been the house of God as it was spelled and what it meant but it wasn't it had been taken over by pagan idolatry and he went there to bethel and while he was going up on the way some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him meaning they made fun of him and they said go up you bald head go up you bald head and he turned around and when he saw him he cursed him in the name of the lord and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys yeah that's what i'm talking about (laughs) did you make fun of my head Oh, I will call a bear on you, right? That's so cool. Now, you're like, well, that's sad for the boys. Hold on, let's talk about this for a second. I don't think so. Now, here's why. Because if two bears can attack 42 boys, why aren't they running away? You understand what I'm saying? Like, how long did that take? Y'all can't split up. Nobody can run that way and that way. How did two bears maul 42 people? Are they all just waiting there to get mauled? Right? Here's what I'm saying. God did us a favor. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, when you got a bunch of stupid kids like that, God has to thin the herd. That's what I'm saying. Now, now that's not in the Bible. I totally made that up. But y'all are taking notes. You know what I'm saying? God's like, I ain't natural selection. That's purposeful selection. You know what I'm saying? Like... If you all always sit there while a bear mauls you, well, see, you got to (laughs) go. Now, what is this story about, right? I mean, is it okay for all of us to run around and like curse, like disrespectful kids and have them get killed? No, no. Then what's going on here? Well, in all these stories, there are multiple levels. You have to go back and do the study on your own. We don't have time to get into it, but, but there's two obvious levels here. One of them is that God did a miracle by calling out and saying, this is inappropriate. What you just did is not okay. What did they just do? This is a symbol that he should have gone into the house of God, Bethel, and God should have been respected. There should have been awe and fear of the Lord. But what happened? The next generation considered him irrelevant, didn't care, and made fun of him. This was a curse on the nation. What's intriguing about the two bears is it is odd and ironic that two nations were going to come up against and the Assyrians were going to wipe out the north and the Babylonians were going to wipe out the south. Layer after layer after layer. This was not simply a pronouncement on kids. This was a pronouncement on the nation. Right? Let me make this personal. You guys, we are very dangerously close to the next generation considering God irrelevant, considering the church useless, and considering Christians a non-existent entity. You know whose fault that is? It's ours. We are not transferring the love of God and the relationship with God to the next generation in a way they can receive y'all one of our biggest mistakes is we keep trying to tell them how we did it we keep trying to shove off uh, onto them our old patterns everything that worked in the 60s 70s and 80s they're struggling with something in their own lives and they're scared and they're falling apart and we say you need to do more devotionals what what does that even mean well it's probably because you're not listening to the hymns what what that's not a thing. We keep trying to shove onto them how it worked for us. But they need to have their own way with the Lord. The basics are all still the same. But how the method comes out has got to keep morphing. It morph for you. And it's got to morph for them. They've got to be able to build something that they own. It's got to be personal between them and God. You remember the verse that said, Don't pour new wine into old wine skins or they're going to break. They need new wine skins. They need a new way to expand and learn. And so God's pouring in the same Holy Spirit. God's pouring in the same basics, but they have to be owned differently. The method changes. They're not going to worship on the same music that you worshiped on. They're not going to read the Bible the same way that you're going to read it. As a matter of fact, now... You can just listen on audiobook. It's different than you. You used to sit down with a cup of coffee and open up a physical thing that had pages. They don't even know what that means. Why would you do that? <laughs> the method has to keep changing. They got to own it because when we put our stuff on them, it doesn't fit right. What do I mean? Y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories of all time, right? Do you remember how it went down? David said, I'm empowered by God. I'm going to go kill the giant. Nobody else seems to be able to kill him. First person he talks to is Saul. He comes up to Saul and he says, hey, I'm going to go kill a giant. And Saul said, well, let me tell you how we do it. Whenever we go to battle, we put on our armor. We got to get fully locked and loaded. So do you remember the story? He gives David his armor. Now, if you remember the story, he, it always said that he was taller than everybody else. The armor doesn't fit. So David's like, clunk, 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 walking around. He's like, this doesn't work for me. He said, you know what I need? Just give me five smooth stones. I got my sling. Oh, I work with the same God as you do. I just don't do it the same way. Took off the old armor, walked in the new power of God, and the giant was slain. Do you understand we've got to allow God to anoint the next generation in the way that he does it? And we need to encourage it and strengthen them. Yeah? All right, let's keep moving forward. All right. So I'm going to tell you the next story just as a paraphrase. Um, they the sons of the prophets there was more of them and they needed a new place to live and so they're doing some construction they're out there chopping trees and cutting logs and getting ready to make some stuff well they're by a lake so they didn't have a whole lot of money one guy particularly was very poor he had borrowed an axe that day because he couldn't afford his own he's chopping wood chopping 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 all of a sudden zing the iron axe head goes flying behind him goes right into the lake and he's like oh shoot like, I didn't, I didn't have any money to own my own axe. Now all of a sudden I owe this dude an axe, and then I still don't have an axe. So he turns over to Elisha, dude, you gotta do something. Elisha should have said, why are you looking at me? Right? But they knew God was working through this guy. So Eli- Elisha says, alright, where did you, where did you lose it? He's like, I don't know, it was like, like right over there. He goes, alright, give me a stick. He's like, what's that? Give me a stick. Alright, here you go. Psh. <laughs> Bloop. The axe head floats to the surface. He goes, go get it. Okay, that's craziness. What? A stick in the water raises an axe head? Now, once again, multi-layers here. We can look at the surface layer, and it seems sweet, which is what? God blessed someone that didn't have any money. Have you ever noticed that when you read the Bible, God does more miracles among the poor than he does among the rich? Why is that? Is it because God likes poor people better than rich people? No. No. No, clearly God still ministers to the wealthy. Naaman, who was healed of leprosy, was very wealthy. God isn't a respecter of persons in that way. Then why are there more miracles on the mission field than back home? Y'all, I'm going to suggest to you that it is probably most likely just practical, which is what? You and I pray about stuff that we could probably fix another way. When you are poor you have no other option. It's God or nothing. And God goes, listen, you see, when you pray about cancer, you also have treatment. When you're poor, you don't have treatment. Either God is your physician or there's no doctors. And God steps in and he goes, you know what? They're my people too. And he brings in mighty miracles and healing upon them. So we could just look at the story like that and go, God, you are so kind and sweet, but there's another layer. Do you realize that back in the ancient world, there was a mythology that there were gods all over the place. And even though the Jews weren't supposed to really believe in this, they started buying into some of these ideas. And one of the ideas was that water represented chaos. Whenever you see a representation of water in the Bible, sometimes it means chaos in visions and dreams and what they believed was anything that went into the water went into the underworld and that was run by a different god so it was gone yeah how do you think god felt about that he's like ah no it's just a lake and i own the lake So if you want your axe head back, it didn't go to the underworld. It just went down by the fishies. So go ahead and throw a stick in there and I'll pull it right back out for you because there's no such thing as an underworld God. And what you realize is the more you study Elijah and Elisha, you start realizing that God is shutting down the idea of other gods in every story. Why did Elijah call down fire from heaven? Because they believed that Baal could do that. And God said, I'm better. That guy's not even a real thing. Just like the plagues of Egypt. Do you realize the plagues that rain down through that whole let my people go stuff? We all remember that? When the plagues were raining down, every one of them was representing a God of Egypt. And God said, I'm bigger than that one, bigger than that one, bigger than that one, bigger than that one, bigger than that one. Elijah and Elisha's ministry is wiping out all the other gods and saying, there's no such thing. There is one God. He's the creator. Amen? That's pretty awesome, huh? <clears throat> All right, now listen to this crazy story. So Israel was in a fight with Syria. That happened over and over and over again. They didn't like each other. And Syria kept trying to ambush them and do all these military movements. And every time they did that, Israel already knew in advance. And they were getting frustrated. They were going, what is going on here? Is there like a mole in our organization or what's happening? And one of the guys goes, they have Elisha. He's like, what do you mean they have Elisha? They're like, God's telling him all our secret movements. And he's like, shoot, well, why don't we just kill that dude, right? Like, we shouldn't be hassling all this other stuff, just kill him. And you know that if you're going to mess with a man of God, you better bring an army. So he sends an army to kill Elisha, and that's where we pick up the story. Pick it up in chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14 of Second Kings. So he sent there, meaning the king of Syria sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, meaning Elisha's right-hand man rose early in the morning and went out behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the servant said alas my master what shall we do okay once again i'm not good at math but that's two against thousands this whole army is trained warriors to kill you they're surrounding you what are you going to do are they suddenly going to be all kung fu Right, and they're just going to come in, yeah, and just start cracking everybody and winning. That's probably not going to happen. So, what is your solution? If you were to solve this, if you were to try to pray through a solution, what would you say? Check out how God handles it. Verse sixteen. If you have a pen, I need you to underline in this your Bible. This is a very important verse. And if you're reading one of the Bibles here at church, I want you to underline this verse. (laughs) Verse sixteen. And Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's always the case. Elisha prayed and said, "O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let's just pause for a moment on that. Do you realize that there is your reality and then there's God's reality? You can only see so much, right? If God was to open our eyes right now, you think there's not angels upon this stage? You think that there's not angels at these corners? You think that the Holy Spirit is not walking amongst us and touching hearts and doing ministry? If you could even see what was really going on, You only see what you see. You can only see what it's practical. You're going to die today. And God said, you don't understand. Talk about outnumbered. Look around you. And the whole hills and mountains were full of God's power. Our enemies today are world flesh devil. Yeah. But notice this. Jesus said what? Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Right? You got the Holy Spirit. What are you worried about? God is on your side. You know what I mean? That's why he keeps saying, don't be afraid. Here's the other thing. You're like, wow, what about the demons? Okay, hold on. Maybe we're reading this wrong, but if we're reading it right, what percentage of angels fell in Lucifer's rebellion? A third. What is left? Two thirds. That's a two to one ratio. For every demon, there's two angels. You understand what I'm saying? If we want to talk about outnumbered, who should be shaken in their boots? It is certainly not the family of God. So this is the point. He said, do not be afraid. We got this one. We're the majority. We always win. And when the Syrians came, they didn't see any of this, verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against him, meaning to kill Elisha, it says what? Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Hold on. I don't know if you just saw what I just read. And he struck them in accordance with the prayer of who? Of Elisha. God did something only once Elisha prayed. God could have done it without him, but he didn't. Some of you need to hear this again because I'm going to say it over and over and over again. There is some blessing and breakthrough that is not happening in your life because you're not even praying about it you think God's either going to do it or he's not going to do it. You're absolutely right. God can do it without you praying. Problem is, he doesn't want to. He wants you involved. He wants you engaged. He wants your heart in it. He wants you to become intense about it. So he's going to draw you in and go, kid, I'm not triggering this blessing until you pray. Well, you should just do it anyway. Yeah, I could. I don't want to. Some of us have a very poor prayer life and there's a lot of things not happening That God would like to happen because we're just simply not on our knees You understand what i'm talking about All right, let's keep moving forward verse 19 and elisha said to them These are the guys that are coming to kill him. He's talking to them face to face and he said this is not the way This isn't the city Follow me. I'll bring you to the man whom you seek But it's him And he led him seven miles away to a different city called Samaria As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. I bet you that wasn't your solution either. Not only does he have chariots of fire, but he strikes them with blindness. Now, can we all agree that it wasn't really blindness? Why? Because there's thousands of warriors, and if they're all doing this, it takes a long time to get seven miles, right? You have to have them all hold on to the kindergarten rope. And just kind of run, right? So they weren't struck with blindness, they were struck with confusion. That they could no longer see what was real. And I don't know, real quick, how many show of hands, how many of you are Star Wars fans? Raise your hand. Does this not sound like episode four? These are not the droids you're looking for. Right? Y'all remember that? Obi-Wan Kenobi ripped off Elisha. Because he's like, this is not the city you're looking for. I am not the man you're looking for, but I'll show you the way, right? I mean, it's just weird, right? But this is his solution. All of a sudden he brings them over and not, they're surrounded by the enemy and they're like, oh shoot, what do we do? And, and the king of Israel is like, we should kill them all. And Elisha said, come on, God just did a miracle. You know what? You're not only not gonna kill him, you're gonna feed them." And they had a huge feast for him and it said, and then the Syrians were like, all right, I guess you're okay. And they backed off. Well, then I'll close out with a story later on. It was not okay. The Syrians came back much later, and they began to attack Samaria, the very same city. They laid siege to it. Do you know what a siege is? A siege is you surround a city and cut off their supply. So in other words, I can't get into your fortified town, but I can make sure you don't get any food. I can get you to come out. I'll cut off your water, I'll cut off your food, and I'll wait you out. At some point, you're coming out because I can get back up in resources all the time. You can't. So they laid siege to the city. It got so desperate that the Bible says they were eating donkey heads and they were eating dove's dung. Now, I got to tell you, it's pretty bad when you're eating dove poop. You understand what I'm saying? But then it got worse. The king was walking around in his city one day and he was totally heartbroken over everything that had happened. He had given up on God. He's like, God, you're not helping us out. He's super mad at Elisha because he's like, this is probably his fault. Right? And he's walking around, and a woman stops him and she said, King, I need your help. And he's thinking, What can I possibly do for you? We're all starving to death. What could your situation be that I can do anything about? You know what she said? She said, Well, me and another woman, we agreed to eat our children together. And so she said, How about we boil your baby first? So we boiled my baby and we ate him last night, but now she ran and hid her baby. And she won't let me eat him. The king just fell apart. What kind of world are we living in where we're eating our children? And his anger began to rise more and more. And he said, this is Elisha's fault. Isn't it weird how we blame God when things go wrong in our lives, when God is the only good? But we blame him, right? This is Elisha's fault. This is God's fault. And then what? He said, I want his head. He sends out the captain of his army, and he said, go kill him. Well, Elisha knew. God told him in advance, and Elisha said, the guy's going to be coming to the door in about five minutes here, and he wants to take my head off. I need you guys to block the door and let me talk to him. So sure enough, he comes in. They hold the door. He's slamming on the door, and he's like, get out here, and I'm going to kill you and all this stuff. And Elisha said two things real quick. Number one, God's going to fix all of this tomorrow. And the, the captain says, that's stupid you believe in that? What's wrong with you? He said, well, number two, you'll see it, but you won't eat of it. You'll die. So what happened? How are you going to solve this? You go from eating children to what? Everything's fine the next day? What possible scenario do you have? You see, God does complicated. Here's how he fixes it. Just outside the city walls were four lepers. The lepers are like, listen, I don't want to go in the city, I'll just die there. And I don't want to go out to the enemy territory, I'll die there. But we're going to die anyway. Might as well go to the Syrians and ask if they have any bread. They go out to the camp and everybody's gone. The entire Syrian army is missing. The fire's there, everything's cooked, all their gold, all their silver, everything's still there, but no soldiers and they're like yeah this is awesome so they're what running around eating everything and they're grabbing gold and silver and hiding in there and then they realize you know what this is totally selfish like people are eating their kids in there we've got to tell the king so they run back and they said king they're gone he said no they're not they go no seriously they're gone he goes well it's just a trap and they're like send scouts out figure it out man because you don't need to be hiding in there anymore he sends out two scouts and they go yep they're gone The whole city pours out. And on their way out, they trample the captain of the army. And he dies. He hears about it, but he never gets the benefit of it. How did God solve it? Here's what the Bible tells us. God made the sound of a mighty rushing army. You know, I bet you anything, it was those chariots of fire. And the whole Syrian army heard this huge, massive army movement coming to attack them. They panicked and all ran away. In one day, everything was right again. Mm -hmm. Let me just say this. God knows how to do complicated. What are you facing in your life today? Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close? God knows how to find a way when there is no way. If it's according to his will, it will happen. Nobody shuts God down. So what are you facing right now that you said God I can't even imagine if I was to part if I was to just imagine a solution I don't have one God my bills are never going to get paid we're going to lose the house God this relationship is never going to get fixed God I'm scared for my children God right what are you facing that's impossible It's not impossible for God. So here's how we're going to close out. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to give you one thought before we do that, and it's this. Here's the problem when God does complicated, is he ends up doing it in a way that he doesn't get any credit for. What he ends up doing is what? He'll answer a prayer request in a very practical way, and you're going to go, oh, that really worked out. Okay, did you pray about it or not? Because here's the thing. When you say, God, I have cancer, he's got millions of options. And sometimes the option is, oh, look, the tumor is completely encased, and the doctor was able to go in and excise it and cut it out. When he does that, you go, oh, that's not a miracle. That's how it always goes. Then why are you praying about it? The reason you're praying about it is you're freaked out that it's not gonna go that way. And then God made it go that way and He got no glory for it. Are you or are you not praying for a change in the situation? God brought a change in the situation, but He did so in such a practical way that you then thought it was an accident. It's not an accident for the family of God. If you lifted it up to your father, sometimes even when you didn't pray about it, God works stuff out for his kids and he needs praise and glory for every single one of them. Why in the world should God do more miracles when he hasn't gotten praise for the last one? Can I have you all stand as we close? Here's what I want to do. In a moment, the altar is going to be open to pray for anything that you want to pray about, but I just want to pray for a special group today. And it is this. As I pray, if I'm touching on a subject or a situation that you are currently experiencing, I just want you, while we're praying and we all have our eyes closed, just lift your hand up to God and go, I think he's talking about me, God. Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God would make a way where there is no way. If you are stuck against something and you have no solution in your mind, I'm going to pray about that. So let's just pray once again. If I talk about what you're going through, Say, God, may you move in my life. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are lifting up our hearts to you, and we're saying right now, God, there is something that we're facing that is not easy. God, it's not easy for us. We've looked in our pockets. We don't have the resources. We've looked at the possibilities, and there's no way. But God, impossible isn't impossible to you. We pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring breakthrough into our lives. Father, there are some of us right now that are facing a financial situation that is impossible. That God, maybe it was bad stewardship. Maybe it was nothing to do with us. But Lord, what we know right now is there's no way this is gonna work out if you don't move. So God, we are praying right now for breakthrough. We're praying right now for freedom. We're praying right now for healing in our finances. That, God, if you want to walk us through devastation, you can do that. But, Lord, if in your will you want to bring about a miracle that we can praise you for, great, let's do that. God, there are some of us right now that are struggling through a relationship that we do not believe it can ever be mended. God, our hearts are hard, their hearts are hard, and we have no way that we're ever going to come back together again. Lord, we've both moved on. But, Lord, I know that disunity is not in your heart. So we're praying right now that you would heal hearts, that you would soften hearts, that you would bring about a restoration in an impossible situation. God, there are some of us right now that we're scared about our children, that Lord Jesus, they're not following you and we can't bring them back. We've tried, we've tried to pressure them. We've tried to do everything, most of it wrong. But God, we're scared because they're not walking with you. It's the only thing we really wanted. It's the thing that we prayed for since they were babies. And now, Lord, the older they get, the further they go away. So we're praying right now, God, that you would surround them with new friends, that you'd surround them with Christians, that you'd have people accidentally run into them. And, Lord, you'd renew their heart and draw them to yourself. Because we don't see a way around it. God, we are praying right now that whatever that scenario is we're facing, Lord, if it is physical, that God, the doctors have come to an end. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make a way where there is no way. You're the great physician. You're the one that trained the doctors in the first place. So Lord, either give them new ideas or just do it by your own bare hand. So Lord, we are just saying, please fall upon your children today and give us breakthrough in an impossible situation. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.